This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, good to have you with us here on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, One Bills Live, the show. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we're diving headlong into the offseason and upcoming plans, just one day removed from hearing from head coach Sean McDermott and GM Brandon Bean, who gave their season wrap-up thoughts on the team, the season that was, and things they may have to do in the not-too-distant future. And uh, we'll dive into the salary cap situation in earnest in about 30 minutes' time when we have Mike Giannitti from Track uh, join us to kind of crunch some of the numbers with us in terms of what the Bills are looking at. Um, as you heard Brandon Bean outline yesterday, things are going to be pretty restrictive because there are ways that they can get out from under the salary cap burden they have, which projects them to be about $43 million over the cap, and that's if it's two forty-two, um, which is widely anticipated. Be nice if it's more. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, be less of a burden to get out from under. Right. That I, I think there, and I was telling Brownie this before. It's it's like it was last year. Probably, I don't know, maybe fifty percent again, maybe a hundred percent more than the gap was last year at this time. I think they were like twenty three or twenty four million over the cap last year at this time. Now they're forty two, something like that over the cap. Um, and what they can do is. They've got all these contracts structured with bonuses, workout bonuses, roster bonuses, signing bonuses, and base salary. And base salary is just a piece of it. And as the season rolls through the offseason, they get, you know, they get some money for OTAs. They get some money for being on the roster on June 1st. They get some money for this, for that, and the other. And what they can do for like a guy like Josh, they know he's going to make, you know, they're, he's not going anywhere. And all those bonuses that he's, you know, that you've got on his contract, well, you just give it to him now as a bonus, signing bonus, and then it gets prorated through the rest of his contract, and you cut all that off. You cut four-fifths, if it's a five-year deal, you cut four-fifths of that amount off the salary cap. So you could save literally $23 million just by giving Josh's money up front now. Yeah. So stuff like that can happen so they can get under the cap. Um, and you hear the stuff is like, you know, this cap is not real. It's real. It's just, you. Uh, for instance, the Bills had a ton of money on the cap last year. I think they only spent two hundred and nine million. I, I say that it's not my money because they had dead money. Because it's not my money is what I guess. Because <laughs> they had so much dead money, but they only had to spend two hundred and nine million. So it's not like they're going, you know, they're going broke doing it this way. Um, because whatever they they're not allowed to spend, they they get to keep. Mm-hmm. It's not like it disappears. It's just they don't get to, they don't get to spend it. So, um, you know, owners are like, yeah, give them the money up front because it's money I'm not going to have to pay next year, right? So uh, that's kind of where they're at now. Um, the it, we'll see, but they're going to get under the cap. They'll do it, and you'll start reading about it as Brandon Bean will start, you know, jumping through those hoops to get that done. But they're still not they're not going to they're not going to free up eighty million in cap space. Let me put it that way. Yeah. And I think because of that, you're going to be looking at greater roster turnover than we've seen the last few years. On average, 25 to 30% of an NFL roster flips from one season to the next. I think this roster, this offseason, could be closer to about 40% turnover. Which means probably about 
25, 20 to 25 guys. Well, um, right off the rip, you've got 22 unrestricted free agents. You know well, they're not that's all that's on the coming. 53, though. I mean, Correct. Some, of, some of these guys, the, the injured reserve and the practice squad turn over 100% almost every year. Mm-hmm. So that's beside the point. I'm talking, we're talking about the 53 now. There, yeah, there's, there's 22 like, unrestricted free agents. There's I mean, guys who, and we said this last year, there's guys we love and respect that aren't going to be here. Um, now, we thought that about Poyer last year, and, you know, here he is. But by and large, this is going to be one of those years where it's going to be new faces. And that's why, you know, this these off-seasons, like this last off-season and this one as well, is where Brandon Bean, you know, they get they get the pencil sharpened around. Here we go. And they got and not only that. They the get calculator, the, the yeah, slide rule. And, and the tape measure. I mean, they got to get these guys right. Protractor. They gotta. They've gotta nail the draft. They gotta nail the free agents. They gotta nail the guys they want to keep. They gotta nail some guys who we've never heard of yet, and make sure they can come in and contribute. And plus, the coaching staff's gotta say, "Listen, I, we don't have a choice now. We've got to play this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to. We can't wait on him. You know, um, that's that's kind of what we're looking at now, more so than we were in the last few years." For a better sense on this, we go to the man himself. That is Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean. As we told you, he spoke to the media yesterday, and here was his one-minute dissertation, if you will, on the team's salary cap situation heading into this offseason. I mean, yeah, it's not – we don't have, you know, the same money we had going into 2019 – you know, in 2020, um, but we will we'll work around it. You know, we're not planning to take a year off and just um, not be competitive. Will we be younger in some areas? Yes. Will we have to rely on draft picks? Maybe we don't have, you know, maybe we're not able to keep 5D tackles that we feel can play <laughs> this year, or maybe there's some positions – you know, we've always tried to create as much depth as we could for what we saw. We had to play with some depth down the stretch. Um, sometimes when you're trying to work your cap and, and when you're paying a quarterback up here, and, and we've definitely been aggressive on some pieces the last couple of years, that's not going to be an option, Jay, to your question. Um, but I don't think – I'm not laying my head down tonight going, we don't have a shot at it next year. So, essentially, <laughs> they can't be quite as aggressive as they've been in the last couple of off-seasons. Von Miller deal, for example, things like that. Um, we've seen Brandon Bean, since he got here, make heavy use of one-year contracts for free agents. I think they may have to do that more than we have ever seen because they're not in a position to sign – free agent players to long-term deals with big signing bonuses and stuff like that. I think it's a roster hole filling exercise with one-year deals that you're going to see on the free agent market to a great degree. There may be one or two exceptions. There aren't going to be more than that. I mean, just look at last year. Connor McGovern and Deontay Hardy, I think, were the only people that signed free agent deals that were more than one year. Poyer, but he was a re-sign. Right. Um, yeah, it's, this has been, and, and I, I, I still like the strategy a lot because of the flexibility it provides you. And it also gives the players what they want ultimately as well, freedom to move if they can. 
and a, a good salary to play for a year and get to know the organization before they submit long term. Um, it's it's a really good strategy, and we're we're starting to see a ton of it around the NFL, or I don't know, a ton of it, a more of it from other teams around the NFL. Guys are signing one year deals, and that is really good for the Bills because there's going to be more and more and more guys that are with big upside available that you can go out and if you can talk them into taking the deal that you want to give them and they've got this upside that they want to hit and you sign them to a one-year deal, it's a home run. Like, you know, Leonard Floyd's a perfect example. It's a it's a win-win and it's a strategy the Bills started using as soon as Brandon Bean became G- GM. They started doing it that first off season, and more and more, it's become the go-to. And you know, you've got these core guys, you know, Josh and Knox and Diggs and Mitch Morse and uh, Deion Dawkins and Tredavious and all those guys. Uh, Matt Milano, Taron. You can go down the list. The guys that have signed extension, second contracts with the Bills, and you've got those core guys. But everybody else kind of gets acclimated on a shorter deal, and while the bulk of the cap is by the guys you know you want year after year after year, it's about getting those guys to fill in those gaps around those stars and maybe coming in and really bolstering it that puts you over the top. When you've got those core guys in place, it's easy for these guys to come in off the free agent market, jump in with two feet and say, well, this is it, man. I want to be a part of this. And uh, we've seen it time and again, and it, it's been a great strategy for Brandon Bean, and we'll see how it works this this offseason. And Brandon Bean addressed that strategy going forward into this offseason. So here is his take on one-year deals being a strategy this offseason. I think when we get a comp pick, I think we're going to be at 10 draft picks. We're going to need, you know, a good port. You know, we need to hit this draft. And um, we need to hit every draft because we've talked about it all along. If you if you don't draft well, you know, when you get in this cap situation that Jay was asking me about, um, then it really shows. You're, and I think we had young players playing this year, whether it was their first year in the team or their, you know, an A.J. Epinesa was his fourth year. Like, we still got to get those guys. And we may have to count on, you know, maybe we didn't have to count on an A.J. as much you know, we were a little deeper. We had more cap space. A guy like that may have to be more accountable and play sooner and be counted on. And so there will be some situations like that. So, again, that's the second comment he made yesterday. I, I sense a youth movement is coming here with respect to this roster. you got some foundational pieces that are probably going to age off this roster, players in their early to mid-30s who are going to age off this roster and they have to have to go younger in some places, maybe to the point where the coaching staff isn't completely comfortable putting players in the, the size of the roles they may have to take on at the beginning of the season, but they're just going to have to grow into the role, whether the coaching staff is 100% certain they can handle it or not, and hope they, let, they nail it down and lock it down and are responsible, trustworthy players out there on the field like they're used to seeing. You have to. There's going to be a little bit greater risk that I think this coaching staff's going to have to take putting some players on the field who talent-wise are good enough, but in terms of experience in the respective system, knowing how to play with the other guys around them, may not be completely buttoned up when they get to September next fall. Right, and and but here's the thing: you're right. All of that's right, Brownie. 
you know, you get the start of the season, you're gonna have to, you're gonna be leaning on some guys that, man, I hope you know. Like I haven't but, seen this guy do it before. But if they're the right guy, that's fine. Now, too, even if they're gonna be the right guy, let's face it. After let's just pick at the scab we've got from last Sunday's loss. I don't care if they're okay in September. I want them right in January. And if they start playing in September, by January, they'll be a different dude. Get them on the field, develop them through a hard season, and you'll be much better off when you get to the spot you know you were Sunday yeah. than you would be if you waited until week 14 and six injuries happened before you even plugged the guy in. We saw the Chiefs do that with a very young secondary last season, and they were, they were getting beat up then beat in the passing game for big plays first month, month and a half of the season. By the end of the season last year, they're making plays in the playoffs. Yeah. You had two of their three rookies on the back end making interceptions in the divisional playoff and in the AFC championship game. So sometimes you just got (laughs) to take that risk and hope it works for you uh, come the end of the season when the games really matter. If, If this staff, which I've said time and again, is one of the best player development staffs the Bills have ever had, is going to live up to that name. They're going to make their money this coming fall if what Brandon Bean is indicating comes to fruition and they have a youth movement on this roster because it is time to start turning it over because some of these players are just quite simply aging out. They're not the players they used to be. And taking that a step further, we heard Sean McDermott yesterday basically say – hey, the last two times we got to the playoffs these last two years, we've been a bit more banged up than we would like to be after two seasons in which they were very successful getting to the end of the season healthy. And I would argue, and I don't know this, and I'm not a sports science person, but I would argue part of the issue is you're an older team. Older players just flat out don't hold up as well. There's a lot more miles on the tires. They get dinged up a little bit more sometimes. And so probably at least part of the reason why this team has found it difficult to stay healthy to the end and through the playoffs is because they're an older team than they were two or three years ago, collectively. Right. And I think they're in the top five in terms of average age this year. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it all goes into the, the recipe and, and let's face it, there are guys here on this, on this squad, Khalil Shakir, James Cook. I mean, we've seen them before our eyes, you know, evolve into the spot where they were at the end of this season where they were, man, they were go-to guys, Yeah. right? Um, Kincaid. Um, so it's it's there. And it, it, I think it's going to be a little different philosophy. Um, well, I think. I think it's going to be a little different philosophy with this season and the, and the position where they're going to have to have a lot more young guys coming in on these rookie contracts and rookie free agent contracts and all that. And getting on the field. And getting on the field, yeah. Uh, we'll see. Now, also, too, and you think about this, Brian, because what I'm thinking now, I'm, I'm projecting into training camp. You're not going to have, like, like for instance, if, if, Poyer, if Poyer's not here and Hyde uh, retire, all that, they're gone. And Tredavious isn't ready. And Tredavious isn't ready. Well, okay, then it's a little shallower gene pool, and maybe these guys do look better. You know, they don't have any, you know, they start to play better. They get reps. There's nobody else in there anyway. Who are they going to play? Now, Taylor Rapp may be there if they re-sign him, if they, you know, go out on him. But you know what I mean? I mean, there's just – it's going to be a little bit like 2019, 2018. Mm-hmm. So it won't be 
the deep pool roster wise that some of these guys came into the you know came in the last couple of years looking at. Let's go to the phones at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. We lead off today with Dan in Rochester. What do you got for us, Dan? Hey, Chris. How are we doing? Hey, Chris. Yeah. Uh, great job on the broadcast. I always turned the I always turned the TV down. Listen, you did a great job. Oh, thanks. The, I appreciate that. I got a. I uh, I think we need an, uh, a wide receiver and a defensive tackle. I got one more thing, Chris. I don't like what they did to Tyler Bass. If you saw the social media, yeah. But he had to turn off. Did you hear about that? He had to turn off his uh, his speed on the. I don't believe threatening somebody's life over a football game. I've been a Buffalo Bills fan for over 50 years, and I don't like it at all. Yeah. It's only a game, and I'm a, I'm West, I've am lived in Western New York my whole life. And thanks for the call. Steve, you did a great job. You should be in the Hall of Fame anyway. I saw your whole career. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks, thanks Dan, yeah, for the call. Uh, here's, the, and here's the thing, too, and, and this is typical, more, more typical of Bills Mafia than, than the, th- the stuff that Dan just mentioned. Um, as of as of now, it's over a couple of hundred thousand dollars that people have have donated. Bills fans have donated to Tyler Bass's uh, charity, the Ten Lives Organization. Yeah, uh, with the SPCA or keeps cats from yeah, being keep, euthanized right. and so uh, exterminated. Yeah, I think the thing that's going to be remembered about that isn't so much the social media posts, but the but the good that came out of it. And yeah. uh, for those that don't know, Tyler Bass, after missing the kick in the playoff game, which by the way would have only tied the game, not won the game. Um, was unfortunately getting death threats on social media, which is just disgusting, abhorrent, and repulsive. Um, and I would, I would certainly hope that, I mean, I think we all know the vast majority of Bills fans can compartmentalize a loss even as devastating as this one last Sunday, where they don't make personal attacks on players. If you think it's hard for you, okay, as a fan, Imagine how it is for players that invest as much time and energy as, you know, NFL professionals do every day, every week, and every month of the offseason. So for someone to have the gall to hide behind a social media page and make threats like that to force a player to have to wipe out his account on social media is repulsive. And those people should be ashamed of the actions that they took in doing that to Tyler Bass. Now, in typical Bills Mafia fashion, they came to the defense of the player and started making donations to his charity. And good on Bills Mafia for turning a negative into a positive yet again. Um, Unfortunately, every fan base has a few bad apples, and we had to see those bad apples turn up, unfortunately, and make Tyler Bass a victim. It's, It's repulsive. Quite, quite frankly. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I can't add anything to that. You're exactly right on point. And uh, it's, it's the thing that's a better thing to remember is the good that came out of it rather than, you know, the hammerheads right. on social media. Uh, let's go back to the phones and to Cindy in Niagara Falls. What do you got for us, Cindy? Hi, guys. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you, Buffalo Bills, for giving us an exciting, wonderful season. Second, I want to say shame on the Bills Mafia or fans that are just being jerks to Tyler Bass. Yeah. He's human and he 
it, it is what it is. And there were a lot more things we could have, you know, done that didn't leave it up to Tyler Bass. The question I have is why, why does it seem like our cap is so confined when Kansas City, Miami, um, Dallas, they, their cap is so large. Do we have a, a, a lower cap because we're a smaller venue? That's all. No. Thank you, guys. No, our no. cap is the exact same as everybody else's. Yeah. That's why the NFL is so good. It's, social, it's socialized at the, at, the mac, at the macro level and individualized you know, down at the micro level. So, yeah, everybody in the NFL, every team in the NFL gets – well, if there's 32 teams, they get 132nd of the pie. No matter what it is, New York Giants get the same as the Bills and the and the Saints and the Green Bay Packers, and that's just the way it works. So teams have different salary commitments, right? For example, a team with a young quarterback like the Packers with Jordan Love, they haven't paid him his big money second contract yet. So they're na- and they have a slew of receivers and tight ends who are on their rookie deals. They're going to have a lot of room under the cap because they're not paying their players as much money yet. The Bills, who are a little further along in their development as a contending team, have a quarterback on his second contract, big fat deal, and other players that are priced high too, like Von Miller and Stefan Diggs. So they're going to have a little bit less cap. And maybe this makes you feel a little bit better, Cindy, but the Miami Dolphins are in major, major cap issues going into this offseason because they have to make the decision on whether to pay to a, a giant second contract as their franchise quarterback. Then they have to figure out what to do with Jalen Phillips, Christian Wilkins, uh, and there are a few other players on that roster. Jalen Waddell is another player they're going to have to pay big money to hold on to. So they And, and they're tight against the cap already. So they've got some big decisions to make this offseason as well, and I think their roster will look decidedly different next season than what you've become accustomed to seeing. So, yes, everybody operates under the same number, which is projected right now to be 242.5 for next season. So we'll just have to wait and see if that, in fact, is the number. We'll know in a few weeks, and uh, they'll just have to do their best job of bookkeeping to make it all work. Let's uh, go to Chris in Buffalo here. What do you got for us, Chris? First of all, I wanted to say you two are great therapists. I was (laughs) in a bad state on Sunday night, and I'm feeling a lot better after listening to your shows the last couple of days. Oh, thanks. So thanks. Thank you. Uh, you also helped on Thanksgiving, too, by the way. So, uh, so uh, I, I wanted to say that I think one of the keys to the Bills advancing further in the playoffs actually starts in the regular season because we need, I think, that first round by. And in each of the last several years, we have lost games in the regular season that I think we should have won, that it has come back to bite us, I think, ultimately at the end. Because we don't get that by because we lost to, like, the Jets or Jacksonville or we got the 12 men on the field. And I remember the Bills teams in the 90s. Steve, I, I went to almost every game. I have such great respect for you. Uh, I was at the 89 Cleveland Browns playoff game in Cleveland behind a pole, had horrible seats. Yeah. I was at the Cincinnati 
since the, uh, it was even worse than that. There was an overhang from the upper deck that cut off your line of view if uh, you were in the lower deck. So any ball more than 10 yards in the air, I couldn't see where it was going. Wow. Yeah, it was terrible. They, and they had a TV set on the back of the overhang that was 60 yards away from you. So I spent most of the game looking through binoculars at a TV set that was fuzzy. But be that as it may, uh, you know, when you have to play that extra game, it's ex- it, you, you get more injuries, um, and injuries really killed us this year. And if you, if you have that advantage, and I remember three of the Bills' four Super Bowls, we had that home field advantage, the bye, you play a – you've already essentially won the first game, and you, uh, you play a lesser opponent in your first round. It's, it's something that I think the Bills have to focus better on not dropping those games in the regular season. I agree with you. Uh, you can look back, and, and I've always said that one of the things about this team, this Bills team, is they're so hard to beat. And I know it sounds crazy because, you know, they, they're out of the playoffs again, but, you know, the, the, the Chiefs got out of here with a win. Uh, and you, know, you look back, they had their, the margins of victory for their losses this year. The first one was by six points to the Jets. Remember way all the in way overtime. back? In overtime. In overtime. Uh, then you lost by five, they lost by four, they lost by six again, they lost by two, they lost by three. <laughs> That's it. And then they lost by three in the playoffs, in the regular, in the postseason. You just don't run off and leave this team. Nobody does. And Even when they're playing poorly. Even when they play like dogs, you can't beat them by more than six points. Uh, and that's, that's just this year. You go back to last year. Um, they they had they had losses of three, three, two, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Three, three, and two. Yeah. That's for last two years. The their largest margin of of Defeat. loss is six, six points, six. And that and you got to go all the way back. We've talked about this before. You got to go all the way back to twenty twenty one, two, which is two full years. And go all the way to the the Indianapolis Colt game. Right, 41-15. In November 21st of 2021. For a double-digit loss. For a double-digit loss. Um, It's interesting that you mention this, Chris, you know, being better in the regular season. Because Sean McDermott addressed that very subject yesterday. Getting to 6-6, he said they are going to address that in terms of their evaluations this offseason, here's what he said about that. That's a critical piece of, of the evaluation, Tim. And when you go back to it, and this is even though we did what we did, it's like how did we get there? We should, in my mind, as a coach and confident in our abilities and our players' abilities, is we should have never gotten there to begin with. And so it's lessons learned from that, which I won't obviously get into the details on that now, but it's, hey, Let's make sure we don't get into that spot again. Now, you're, there's there's things that cause some of that too that are sometimes, you know, not always directly within your control. Um, some of it's injury related, um, and I felt like we were more banged up than what I, I would have liked a little bit last year and as well this year. That's no excuse. Um, we've got to kind of dive into that a little bit deeper in terms of why, right? Why is that happening? Um, just as one piece, 
but overall, it's um, a lot of valuable lessons that, as a staff, we can take from that earlier part of the season. I believe some of our players can take from, from that earlier part of the season as well. And some of that got corrected, which was good to see during the season, where um, what went wrong early in the year was, was uh, executed better, I'll say, uh, in the back half of the season. So he wants to know, hey, I never expected to be at 6-6 six and six myself. We need to evaluate why we ended up there and made it so difficult on ourselves to climb out of that hole right. and get to the playoffs. And that's what he and his staff intend to get to the bottom two this offseason. So to your point, Chris, they are better through the course of the regular season. We do have to take a break here because when we come back, we're going to crunch some of these salary cab numbers with founder and managing editor of SpotTrack.com, one of the more popular salary cap sites for not just the NFL, but just about every other professional sport as well. Mike Giannitti will join us as we crunch the numbers and see how the Bills may take a course of action in wiping out being $43 million over the cap before even doing off-season business. Mike Giannitti up next here on One Bills Live. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you and Pleased to be joined now by the founder and managing editor of SpotTrack.com, a uh, salary cap clearinghouse for just about every professional league you can think of. Um, any any chance Mike Janitti is going to be tackling the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League? Maybe. Who knows? Um, but the guys, I don't know how you have enough time on your hands to crunch all these numbers all the time, Mike. Um I don't think there's accountants that want to do this much numbers work. Um, but thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, we've got a situation here that I think for just the average NFL fan, sometimes they look at this and they get all cross-eyed. But mm-hmm. I, I, maybe the first question here, $43 million over, and we all know that there are ways to maneuver out from under a burden like that in terms of being over the cap. But how much more difficult – would you say the task is this offseason for the Bills to get out from under that and maybe fill out the roster the way they'd like to as opposed to previous seasons? Yeah, that's a nice way to frame it because you're right. Everybody has the opportunity to do this every single offseason, right? This isn't, this isn't new. Um, you know, the bigger the quarterback contract gets, the harder this gets. I wouldn't say Josh Allen's cap hit is daunting right now because – over 22 million of that can come off the books this year. That's just how the the cap conversion system works. So in comparison to other years, the Von Miller situation makes things a little bit more difficult because you're you're in a bit of an unknown there, and that contract is fully guaranteed to to a certain degree. Um, and really, you, you got some aging players that make Brandon Bean's decision on restructuring contracts a little bit more complicated. Right? Those are the players you have to be conscious of whether it's a yes or no to moving cap cap room down the line a little bit. There's also a lot of youth here, right, it, where flat-out contract extensions might be the better way to go, and, and that's a good football decision and a good business decision. So uh, is it harder this year than other years? I don't think so. I think we a couple of years back when there were seven or eight extensions that had to get done at one time, that's probably as complicated as things got here on who needs to stay, who needs to go. But um you can open up 30 to 40 million of space pretty easily with some simple conversions. And uh, I would imagine that's where things start this off season. Yeah. And conversions just means all the bonuses from roster option bonuses, roster bonuses, signing bonus, just give it to them now. Cause you know, 
there's a you mm-hmm. know more than a handful of these guys. You know they're not going anywhere. They're not going to get cut. So you may as well give them their money now, and it goes on, and, it, and you push that down the road, right? Exactly. Yep. You're just giving them the what the salary they were going to make, make it a signing bonus, hand it to them now, and, and push some of that salary cap into future years. Exactly. So, what is the you know what is the overall you know view of this? And like, so if they did this and maxed it. I mean, how far mm-hmm. under could they? I mean, you're talking 43 million. They got to get under, uh, or or cut off. They can do 23 of it with Josh, and with four yeah. or five other more guys, they can do the rest of that. But they need to. What what do they need past the 242 to have enough money to do business for a draft class with 10 picks? Yeah, exactly right. You want to have at least 15 to 20 right there, even though you're not drafting exactly, you know, up high and near the draft, which is a good thing because it means you won some ball games this year. And then you want to give yourself at least 15 to 20 million just to operate, just to maneuver uh, with anything, let alone any kind of splashy mark signing. So you, you want to get yourself into a situation where you're at about 30 million. That's generally the number I give to most teams for that first league day. If you're 30 million under, uh, you've given yourself at least a chance to consider a big splashy signing or a couple of you know BC free agent moves that you may need to make to initiate your offseason. So there's you know there, there's about 80 million that has to get opened up here, give or take, uh, within the next couple of weeks to get themselves at least cap compliant and then give themselves some operating room as well. Right, and some prime candidates, which I know you outlined in your clap cap clearing possibilities that you posted on your Twitter handle at Spotrac S P O T R A C. Um, Deion Dawkins, Taron Johnson, mm-hmm. Rasul Douglas all look like prime extension candidates. Obviously, Johnson and Dawkins, maybe you could stretch out a little bit longer than Douglas, who's you know coming up on his age 31 season. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, Douglas may be the third in this list. He's new, but it certainly seems like he's a fit. The cap hits only $9 million there, so you could live with it with just the conversion. But, uh, you know, with the situation happening in that secondary this offseason, I think it's it's being penciled in red right now, right, in terms of what, what safeties you're about to lose here, uh, the Tredavious White situation going forward. So keeping a guy like Roswell Douglas and Taron Johnson in tow for two or three more seasons and lowering their cap it for 2024 at the same time seems like a, a good football-slash-business move. And Dawkins just had his best season. So entering a contract year, you want to push him out three years guaranteed, lower that hit this year, and keep him a, you know on Josh's blind side for the immediate future. One of the things we've talked about that Brandon Bean loves to do, we talked about it even earlier in the show today, is that the, the, the prevalence of one-year contracts. Have you seen an uptick in that in the past you know, handful of years? For sure, especially with the veterans that, you know, in free agency that just aren't getting the bang for buck anymore. Unfortunately, it's a bigger conversation, but we're seeing teams do this kind of on a, on a bigger, grander scale, Steve. The Houston Texans have been operating like this for three seasons. So instead of ripping the Band-Aid off in Houston, what they basically did is brought in a bunch of veterans who may be a little bit past their, their full prime, gave them slightly overpaid one-year contracts, which gives Nick Casario all the control in the world, right? Because he knows every year he gets to make all, all the brand new decisions. And if any of those guys end up sticking, then that's when you start thinking multi-years. So they're, they're a prime example of sort of resetting themselves without rebuilding, necessarily speaking, because of shorter contracts. And this is a conversation I've been trying to have for four or five years now. I, I'm not even sure superstars shouldn't be taking shorter contracts, right? I mean, we're seeing Mahomes have to restructure after four seasons of his 12 years because 
the market just changed so drastically. So I think everybody should be conscious of this kind of operation. Uh, and it's not just for teams that are maybe at the bottom of the pool here. And then the more difficult conversations that probably will have to be had between Brandon Bean and representatives for some players on this roster and, and players that come to mind here. One you already mentioned, Jordan Poyer, entering his age 33 season. Got a year left on his contract, but if he's not on this roster, he could save the team $5 million or upwards thereof. Deontay Hardy, you know, a player that probably didn't fill the role that they anticipated. He's a guy that's got a year left on his deal, but could save this team over $4 million. And then you got other players that you probably want to keep around, but just not at the cost at which they are going to run you here in 2024. And I would think Dawson Knox is a guy that's going to be at that at the head of that list at 14.3 for a cap mm-hmm. figure. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, he's pay cut territory or, I mean, I don't even know if I want to say extension. He signed out for a few more years. He may just have to take a pay cut here. I don't know that he would do that, Chris. Um, he's fully guaranteed this year. You gave him basically three years fully guaranteed in this contract. And uh, it was understandable at the time. It hasn't played out to where they wanted it to. And obviously Dalton Kincaid is now, you know, supplies him in terms of the operational role. Uh, But this is not a season. I think that you can go up to it to Dawson Knox and say, let's get rid of that $5 million roster bonus, unfortunately, because it's already fully guaranteed. So that's why in terms of the piece that I wrote for this off season, I've got him as just a simple cap conversion right now. Let's push some of that 14.3 down the line a little bit. And then there's a very big conversation to be had after 2024 about the, the you know Dawson Knox and a couple of other players. But you're right. There's a Deontay Hardy conversation, maybe a Naheim Hines conversation, certainly a Tredavious White conversation as well. That was the one I was going to get to next because you know we Tredavious is an unknown in terms of what yeah. he's going to look like when he does get back on the field. There's no timetable for when he does get back. He obviously ruptured his Achilles October 1st, and that is sometimes a 10 to 10-month to one-year recovery. Um, he's done a lot of restructures in the past for this club when they've come to him and asked for help. Um, is is pay cut something that we're looking at here because you don't know what kind of player he's going to be if and when he does come back? What's What are the options there? Certainly, you know, uh, the Bills have been pretty prominent with doing that, you know, more than a lot of teams I've seen in the league in terms of going up to a guy and saying, you know, if you'll take a million and a half, we can convert those into incentives instead. You know, we'd like to keep you around. Would you would you consider doing that? I'm not sure Tredavious's situation is at that level. I, I, I at my, at, in my opinion, we got to get out of this contract completely, especially for March 13th, because we need that cap space. Right. And then we'll talk about a re a re-signed deal. If that's in the cards, you know, think about it like a starting pitcher who you may not know how many innings you're getting out of him this year, but you may get something out of him in 2025. Is there a world where, you know, a really team friendly two year contract that starts from fresh with Tredavious makes sense for both organizations? Because, like I said, this is not a position where they're plentiful. You know, they're trying right. to replace a lot here in terms of that secondary. And I know Tredavious probably wants to stick around with this organization and probably vice versa, but I got to get out of this contract right now to, for starters. And then we'll see what happens after that. Well, yeah, but if you get out, you can't. If you release him, it's still ten million against the cap. If you yeah. get now, if you tear it up and sign a new deal, everything changes. Is that how that works? The dead cap still hits, but you start from fresh, and you you can basically monitor your own salary structure, your own signing bonus structure, etc. So you could bring him down to a minimum salary, right? The dead cap would still hit the books. 
uh, but you're still freeing up over six million from where you started. So there's room to operate with a smaller contract. That's still where I'm going. If I'm Brandon Bean, I just want to get out of this large deal that unfortunately injuries have impacted too much over the time here. Right. Uh, you mentioned probably about fifteen million for the draft class, of which they're okay. anticipating to have ten picks, assuming they get the third round compensatory for the loss of Edmonds in free agency okay. last year. Um, we heard Brandon Bean yesterday talk about having to depend on younger players here going forward. Yeah. It would certainly indicate a good chance of maybe if not keeping all ten of those picks, he's probably drafting about seven or eight players at the very least, and might need all of them to be on the roster because they're going to have to try to trim by going with cheap labor too, won't they, Mike? Yeah, that's the big change. That's the change from this year versus the last couple of seasons is you're now relying as much as possible on this draft. We've seen it in Detroit. We've seen it in Kansas City over the past couple of years, certainly in Philadelphia. Um, you know, any of these teams that are sort of still in it at the end of end of January, that's where Buffalo is now. And And hitting on at least two or three of those top draft picks is – the most important part of the offseason every single year because it's not even just making the roster, right? You probably need two starters yeah. out of your draft class every single year to keep going where you've been for the past couple of seasons here. So uh, I'm with you. Uh, you know, Maybe they're taking two or three of those picks and moving up. That's been something that's happened the past couple of draft classes, but uh, it's about finding starting roster players and certainly some depth uh, on your defensive line at some point in time in April. Uh, and it's easily the most important part of this offseason, regardless of what happens in free agency. Yeah, and if you it, looking back, you can tell this the last draft, the 2023 draft, they did. They got exactly two starters out of that draft with That's Dalton right. Kincaid and Osiris Torrance. Uh, Dorian Williams looks to have an upside, which maybe he'll e- emerge as something more in the future. Um, but that's, you know, and then you go back, you got Terrell Bernard and James Cook and Sha- Khalil Shakir out of the previous draft. So they do seem to be on schedule or ahead of schedule getting starters out of each draft. This draft, and for people who are wondering, the Bills have one pick in each of the first four rounds of this draft. Then they have three fifth-round picks. I'm sorry. Two fives, two fives, three sixes. Four sixes and a seven is what we've you've got. Four sixes and a seven, two fives, four sixes and a seven. So if that's the case – um, certainly, they're, it's a bottom-heavy draft in the number of picks they're going to get, but and they pick 28th, 55th, 97th, 123rd. I mean, it, it's it's down the line, but they've done yeah. it in the last couple of years. They've managed to find them, um, and I know you're not a draft guy, hmm? but how does that? There is absolutely no effect if you draft these guys, particularly high. They get their money no matter what, whether they can contribute or not. That's right, and look the. You know, everybody outside of the second round essentially is is on a one year hit, right? You can you can you can get out of third and fourth and fifth round draft picks as quickly as you need to. Uh, not saying that's that's the way teams should be operating, but that, that's the control you get, which is not only cost control but also control of how how long you want to keep these players rostered. And there's some some rookie contracts that I think may get moved on for just this offseason, just to clear one one point five million of cap space because that's you know what the team needs at this point in time. So. You're right. You know, not a lot of top 100 draft picks. That's usually the cutoff line for for starting roster players. But Brandon Bean has found some gems in the fourth and fifth over the past five years. And that's one of the big reasons that the Bills are here. It's being able to have cost control and depth in the positions where you need that. Mike, thanks as always for uh, the insight and uh, the number crunching. We appreciate it. I'm sure we'll catch up with you down the line here in the offseason. Thanks for the time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, that's Mike Janitti, founder and managing editor of SpotTrack.com. 
If salary cap numbers make your head spin, you can go to Mike's site. It's user-friendly. You can even be your own GM and use his salary cap management tool. Uh, What happens if I move this guy off the roster? What happens if I restructure this dude? Um, And it can kind of show you the conversions and calculations uh, if you're into that stuff. Um, Or if you just want a general update on where the team sits, maybe after one of these moves are made, Mike's pretty good about updating his site pretty much up to the hour. Um, I I honestly don't know how the heck he does it because he doesn't just do (laughs) the NFL. He does NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL. I mean, he's all over it in just about every league. And just to have the working knowledge of how all of those cap structures work, um, he he does an excellent job. So definitely a, a worthy follow and a bookmark favorite on your web browser. Uh, if you're into that right. stuff, we got to take a break here. When we come back, more of your phone calls and more discussion and comments from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean's press conferences yesterday. We'll play you some of the highlights in hour number two here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live. Going to get some phone calls in here before we get to the top of the hour. So uh, let's first go to Kevin in Hamburg. What do you got for us, Kevin? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I think I got maybe a few solutions for the cap problem and injury problems, too. You ready? Yeah. Tredavious is a great player, but he's become undependable health-wise. Getting hurt in 21 on Thanksgiving coming back 22 sparingly, and then getting hurt this year. So if I was the Bills, maybe they should think about maybe a high draft pick, maybe second round, no less, a good cornerback. So if, if he does go down and we have to say goodbye to him because of the injury problems, we won't be, you know, paying that. We'll be paying a rookie deal. And then we're going to lose the Hyde Poyer team, one of them this year, and the other shoe might possibly drop next year. Maybe get a safety somewhere in there, and then if we lose the other shooter, drop a safety next year. If we lose both of them, and there'll be rookie deals, so we won't have to pay an unfortunate amount. So we'll take care of the injury problem, maybe, and the shoe drop problem. Yeah, I I get what you're saying, Kevin. Um, unfortunately, what was largely the anchor of this a team ascending into playoff contender and Super Bowl contender status was players are aging out now and. I think that Tredavious White's career is – look, I don't, I'm the last person to doubt Tredavious White being able to come back from this injury, but, it, yeah, the trajectory of his career has unfortunately been altered by two major, major lower body injuries um, that have compromised the better part of his last two seasons. So the, the team has to think differently as well, particularly because of the cap situation in which they find themselves – and we just had Mike Janitti on who suggested maybe you just tear up the contract, release him, let him get healthy, and then say, look, get healthy. We'll sign you to maybe a cap-friendly two-year deal. Get back on the field. Make it incentive-laden, you know. But that's part of this business. Um, playing this sport is a battle of attrition, and sometimes injuries can derail your career or keep you from being the player you know you can be. And 
I realize that's hard to stomach, but that's the situation that the Bills find themselves yeah. in with Tredavious. And really, I don't think you need to invest a high draft choice in a corner. And the reason I say that is you already did. Kyrie Elam two years ago in the first round. He's only entering his third season. You have Christian Benford, who's proven he's a starting caliber corner in this league. And you have Rasul Douglas under contract. You may have to tweak the contract a little bit, but that's three players who, in my estimation, are starting caliber. And you can probably re-sign Dane Jackson for affordable money. And there you got four corners. Off you go. Yeah, you're right. We all Trey's a great dude. We all love him. He's and he he was important to the the ascension of this club into the playoffs. He's been an All Pro at one of the elite. He's been an elite player at that spot. But if you're the general manager of Brandon Bean, you have a responsibility to set that aside for this coming year. It's about this coming year. It's not about what Trey has been and how much we like him and love and respect him. Can't be an it's about coming decision, up. This, yeah. It's about this roster. And you got to put it together with, with, with players who you're confident in that will come back and play at a high level or at least have a chance to play at a high level and for, as, for the least amount of money you can manage. Um, and that Trey is, is, doesn't have two of those. He's not, you don't know how good he's going to be when he comes back as much as he – it's a bad injury. And two, he's making a ton of money. That's a bad spot to be in for a player. So, and and if you're Brandon B, you got to make a tough decision. Uh, you got to either change the contract um, or get off of it. Um, that's that's a hard place to be, and it's it's, uh, it's unfortunate. That's, that's why Brandon Bean gets paid. That's his, those are his those decisions to execute. Yeah. Um, and when it becomes when it becomes as obvious as it is to you know Kevin in Hamburg and Brownie and the old guy here, you know, something's going to happen. They're going to have yeah. to change it. And then as for safety quickly, um, I think there will be a priority put on trying to re-sign Taylor Rapp. I still think he can be had for generally affordable money, but it will be an increase. Um, Micah Hyde has a decision to make on whether he's even going to continue his career. Unfortunately, I don't see that being here. Um, this is part of the youth movement we were discussing that Brandon Bean addressed yesterday. Um, I think he falls into that category, and Poyer may as well, because it's no secret that if you release him, he saves $5 million on the cap for you. That's not chump change. That's money you could put towards a younger player who's entering his prime in Taylor Rapp. You still have DeMar Hamlin under contract. Cam Lewis is a free agent. Um so you've got some decisions to make there, but I would not do it in the form of a high draft choice. You have more pressing positions like defensive tackle and wide receiver to address on the first two days of the draft. Uh, to me, there's no room for safety earlier than day three. Uh, got to take a break here, but more of your phone calls when we start hour number two, along with comment highlights from Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott's remarks yesterday in their press conferences. We'll get to those when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and taking your phone calls at 803-0550. We are discussing a busy, busy offseason that awaits Brandon Bean and the personnel department, along with the coaching staff, as they make their recommendations and make some uh, difficult business decisions. Spoke with Mike Janitti founder and managing editor of spot track in the last hour about some of these tough decisions that could be coming down the pike where maybe some of these older players on the roster age out um, and they have to depend on youth considerably more this coming fall. And it can be interesting to see all the decisions that are made between now and essentially the end of May. Um, Cause even around the end of May, early June, Brandon Bean will strike with a, free agent acquisition like yeah. Leonard Floyd. It's interesting too cuz we we've been talking about, about you know the draft and whether they'll trade up and you know what's going to look like they they trade up a lot in the first round. Uh they've got 10 draft picks, six four sixth rounders. No, it's only 3 actually. This one's got spot tracks got Well, they only have 10 at least from what they I can see. They got 200 and 202. So they got a first, a second and they're expecting a third in the comp pick from Edmonds. Mm-hmm. Then a four, a five. They get the five from Green Bay in the Rasul Douglas trade. Their own six, a six from the Rams, a six from Houston, and then a seven, I thought. This is good. We'll have to double check. Yeah, we will. But anyway. A lot one, of late two, round picks. Three, How about that? Four, five. Yeah, this is the, on spot track. They've got 11 picks, not 10. Yeah, I think it's only 10. Yeah. So that any either way, I mean. I, we, I mean, the, the the interesting thing to me, and the reason I brought it up is, if if they start getting through the, like the combine and they start seeing guys they like, and they got, and you know how it is, you go in, and you, I gotta have, gotta have that. We gotta get that guy, right? When and, Brandon Bean is begging the guy to run a slow time, right. so he slides, <laughs> right? So then, so he's gonna. That's when you start seeing him. If it's a, you can bet if there's somebody out there and they start moving in the draft before the draft starts. They've, they've got somebody. They've got the crosshairs on. Yeah. Somebody. I get it. Uh, let's go to the phones at 803-0550. Got some open lines for you there, so chime in if you wish. But we go to Tony in a car next. What do you got for us, Tony? How are you today? Good. Doing well. I know one of the callers earlier said that you guys are great therapists, and I, I can second that for sure. <laughs> Happy Bring to you help. You guys here, you really do help us. <laughs> and you know, Steve, we know for a fact we've been to the wars, you know, so you were you were there. Well, it was fun while I got it a lasted. Couple things for you. <laughs> got a couple things for you. Yeah. Um how to play here or play there. And I've got a play for you. And that would be two plays before the field goal kick where Allen went for Shakir in the end zone at digs underneath wide open. Where he could have easily dumped it off. Goes out of bounds, maybe turns it up and fights. I mean, I don't know why you're looking for six at that time anyway, because there's still a lot of time left. I figured you'd want to bleed the clock down. Well, you're looking for you're looking for six yeah. anytime you can get it. Yeah, and and as and as as good as the Mahomes had been that day, you take the points. You'll go up by four, and they have to score a touchdown then, not a field goal to beat you. And it's just and plus, you're not going to. It's asking a lot. For a team to score on a drive when they got to have it, now you're asking them not to score, but score a certain way. And that's no, you take the points when you get, particularly offensively, give me the touchdown. 
Um, that's I, that's a that is a I don't know. It's it's coaching not to lose. In an ideal world, you'd love to manage the clock perfectly and get the touchdown. But the ultimate priority is points. The whole name of the game is to score more points than the other team. So when a touchdown opportunity presents itself, you have to take it, especially in that situation, because there's two minutes left in the game. It is very likely that that is your last possession of the game. So it's second and nine. If you don't get a first down, you got three plays left. And this is a golden opportunity at a touchdown. You take the shot. Well, you got two plays left. If it's, you if take it's, the shot. But yeah. Well, I was counting second and nine. Right. You take the shot when you think it's there. What he didn't think was he was going to get bumped as he threw the football. That's what he didn't think. Yeah, that's that's a play we've seen Josh hit. So and plus, you know, yeah, you have to execute it. That's you, you know, Dion has to know he's got to you know he's got to hold you know Chris Jones off for a two tenths of a second longer. Or Josh shuffles his feet. Or to Josh the right. just. Yeah, yeah. Josh just shuffles his feet and and swerves in the pocket and gives himself some space. Either, either way, you know, all that stuff's going on. That's it's a hard league to win in when you, you're talking about stuff like this. You knew this game was going to come down to get plays like that, and and I'll say related. just just because I get it. You lose games like that because the other team's really good. You're really good too. And the fact that it always goes in favor of the other team in situations like that, you say always oh, the last three times these teams have played in the playoffs, it's gone the way of the Kansas City Chiefs. And and I know this too, you, it, somehow it's vastly different when it's in September, October than it is in January because whoever loses goes home. But it's the same thing. Sometimes it plays out in the Bills' favor. Sometimes it plays out in Kansas City's favor. So far, on the last game of these seasons, it's played out in Kansas City's favor. In the first games of the seasons, it's played out, played out in, in Buffalo's favor. There's no, you know, whatever. I mean, you you got to play the game. I mean, I, there's none of this. And I say it again. There, there ain't no hump to get over. Just you make that play. If you make that play, all of a sudden the hump is a, in your rearview mirror. You know, you hit the kick, you got a chance to move on. Let's go. Let's, you know, let's let's see if we can pull this game out. I, I'll say this again, too. The sequences of this game closing out in the fourth quarter, coming down the stretch with a fake punt, with all the stuff that, ha- excuse me, all the stuff that happened on subsequently, throwing it deep when they ha- right out of the gate, when they get it back after the safety, the touchback, throwing it deep there, throwing it, you know, coming out, slinging it. And going for the touchdown there on a second and nine, that to me is in stark contrast where this coaching staff was three years ago. They never made, they did not turn their players loose to that level three years ago. And you could tell that was kind of part of the knock on McDermott. I think they're to a point now where they're not like they were. He's not coaching like he did. Maybe it's the defensive coordinatorship that you know he's got this year. Maybe he realizes that you know he can help more. They, yeah. I just I, I was really impressed. And I'm, they didn't get the results, no question. But I do see a difference in the way their mindset, that I, way I perceive their mindset coming down the stretch as a football team. They were gunning it. They weren't, you know, they weren't backing off eight yards on a third and four, right? 
they were they were bringing it both offensively and defensively. So I'm I'm very optimistic. I really felt good about the way they gave the the players a chance to win it instead of coaching so that hoping their players wouldn't make a mistake, taking their players out of the ability to make a mistake. You know what I mean? I just I, I saw a difference there, and while the result was, you know, like we all say, we shrug our shoulders, it was the same thing, the same old Bills. It's not. They they had a different mindset in the end of this game, and I I was very encouraged by it, even though the result was, you know, devastating for us all. Let's go to Mike in East Aurora next. What's up, Mike? Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, I was calling just, you know, I really don't see it the same way that you and uh, – Steve have been describing it as, you know, a play here or a play there. I mean, the defense got torched, and it's a pattern. It's not a one-off thing. Um, the Chiefs only had five third downs in the game on Sunday. They had five scoring drives, and it would have been six if they didn't have that fumble, you know, at the goal line. And, you know, the injuries, yeah, but – it's, it's it's the coach's decision to sign a guy out of retirement and make him the captain of the defense when you're going against Pat Mahomes. Yeah. And I think there was different options there. You know, we're not in that seat, but you're telling me about all the experience of these safeties. Why couldn't they call the defense? Why did you have to have a guy who was literally should have been, uh, you know, on a beach trying to cover uh, Kelsey? And, you know, the other thing is we always hear about how the defense takes away Stephon Diggs. Did we take away Travis Kelsey? When you're coming into that game, you know he is the number one target. Did it look like they took him away? They didn't do it successfully. Well, here's the I'll thing. Be the first to agree you're, with you on you're that. talking out of both sides of your mouth. Yeah. I mean, you got, you got a defense that's depleted. You got guys that you say should have been on a beach, uh, right or wrong decision, and you're, and you're complaining that they don't have enough communication skills or enough practice to make sure they don't blow a coverage and leave the best tight end in the league in the corner. Like, like you're telling me they designed a defense to leave Travis Kelsey completely uncovered. And I, I, that's not true. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Why didn't you just assign a guy man to press them at the well, line? Okay, they wait, actually, a minute, wait a minute. They, hold on. Mike, let, me, let me address Mike, this part Mike, first. What, they did what? do that. They had Saran Neal assigned in the package on third downs to cover Travis Kelsey. But to your point, they only got to third down five times in the game. Now, if you want to argue that later in the game they should have just put Saran Neal on Travis Kelsey, whether it was first or second down, I'll listen to that. But there was a plan – on third downs, because I saw it, Saran Neal on the field covering Travis Kelsey man-to-man, jamming him at the line of scrimmage, and that's why they were only one for five on third down conversions. That worked. You want to argue they should have used it more? I'll listen to that. I'll listen to that. And, Mike, the, the biggest failure of the defensive effort on Sunday was up front. The healthiest part of the team, the defensive line, came up short in a big way they could not stop the run and they did not get to Patrick Mahomes in the pass rush whatsoever that was the biggest failure of the defensive effort on Sunday as I see it because you can only expect so much out of your fifth and sixth linebackers in your depth chart starting and your fourth and fifth corners outside starting in this football game against 
Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and, I, and I'll say this too. You're right. They did get the defense did get torched, but that's you're you're playing with practice squad guys and guys who and you can say what you want about you know AJ Klein wouldn't have been in. They would never put him in there if they hadn't thought he was the best option. There's guys on the you know. I mean, you got Dorian, Dorian Williams, Williams talented player. He's a really talented player. But it just so happened, you put the guy on the field, and all of a sudden, you got Travis Kelsey running down the field. You, it, I mean, that's what they're trying to keep away from, and that's it's not easy to go out there and just say, "Hey, you guard him, you guard him, you guard him, you guard him." It, I mean, it's a team game, and you've got to be able to communicate, and know your assignments, and that's job one of a coaching staff. So you get out there, and I'm quite frankly. They're lucky they only had one got one busted cover. Well, there's more than one because they they threw it to Rashid Rice number early in the flat, and there was nobody guarding him either. So they had a number of busted coverages. I think he got picked. And the only, you know, and the only explanation for it is the guys out there just don't have enough rep. They didn't. They're not. They're they're not the guys you want out there. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, um, you can, you I, go into you can, I, you're telling me injuries don't make a difference. Why does everybody? think they do what does everybody else except you think they do i mean it's a battle of attrition as we know and as mcdermott said yesterday you want to be healthier going into the playoffs each of the last two years they have not been they want to drill down on that and i personally i think part of the reason is they got to get younger uh they're two years older than they were two years ago when they were the healthiest team going into the playoffs and it's a lot of miles on some tires on this roster i think it was in the top five or eight oldest teams in the league. And I think salary cap wise and just making tough decisions, they're going to have to get younger this year and they're going to be dependent on a lot younger players. And that change might end up being for the better and they might stay healthier because of that. Uh, let's get back to the phones and we're going to go to Mark in West Seneca next. What do you got Mark? Hey guys. Um, hey, I called right at the end of the show yesterday and brought up the whole thing about the war of attrition with injuries. Yeah. Possibly going to two buys and all that. And you guys, we didn't have enough time for you guys to, to hear your guys' discussion about it. And you suggested I call back and remind you today. So I, I wanted to do that. And I have a question and then a quick observation on the defense. Um, my question is this with the emergence of Shakir in the slot, uh, looking like a guy we don't want to take off the field pretty much most of the time, I'm curious how you guys think that may affect. Kincaid moving forward, because when we drafted Kincaid, there was a lot of discussion about his ability to uh, split off the line, play in the slot. And does that mean, do you think that that possibly means he might be even split out even wide now? And if that's the case, uh, how does that affect the wide receiver uh, train and all that? Not that they don't need him. I think they still need him. And then one quick observation about the defense, listening to the gentleman that was just talking. Because we, don't, we love those two guys so much, Poyer and Hyde, it's never brought up. But the days of them being able to compensate and cover up for a lot of things that went on in that defensive backfield and even up at the line of scrimmage and making tackles in the run game were long gone this year. And that should not be overlooked. Love those guys. They're wall of famers. Okay. But the fact of the matter is, like you said, they're long in the tooth and they're well past their prime. So that's also another thing that needs to be talked about a little bit as to why they ended up so bad back there. Okay. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And to start out with the King K- Khalil Shakir, yeah, you're right. I think at, at the, now at this point, I mean, you know, two days after the last game of the season, you think, well, Khalil should never come off the field. He should be out there all the time. 
and I think too, Kincaid is a guy out there that people, you know, you want him out there as much as possible as well because of his flexibility. And when you say, for instance, you split out a tight end out wide and the defense adjusts one way, meaning they leave the corner wide to guard the tight end, that means you've got a smaller, shiftier guy like Khalil Shakir on a bigger body inside, like a linebacker. Now, if they flip it and send the linebacker with the tight end and the corner inside, now you've got an outside corner playing like a slot corner which is not his strength, and a big-bodied outside guy in playing in space. So you can tell, you. yes, uh, I think the bigger question isn't about what Kincaid's going to do going forward. It's about what they're going to do with Dawson Knox going forward. How does it, you know, if you're going to go 12 personnel, that's one thing, but they're not going to do that all the time. Maybe in the reds. Now they got two guys, and, you know, you got, there's only one football, and, so if you unless you go twelve personnel or thirteen personnel, there's only room for one tight end. Which ones are going to be, and and why would you make the switch one way or the other? That's for the coaches to decide in a game plan. But that's what you're looking at. It's not more about Shakir at the slot. It's more you can about go double slots too. Right. Just put them in each. Put them in each slot. Right. King you can Cage, go four Shakir. wide. Off you go. You can split out four wide. So with a running back. So yeah, all that's in, in the mix, um, and it gives you versatility. You want to be able to win. Going thirteen personnel, and you want to go. To, you win playing ten personnel. All of it. So um, uh, all of that's on the mix. Now for the eighteen game schedule, we uh, we got a couple minutes. It's long been my my assertion that the league is going to go to eighteen games. I think the perfect way to do it is not to add games on in February, Jan- January, February, March. It's do it at the other end. Give the game. Give two preseason games and two weeks of pre two weeks of training camp. Two preseason games, two regular season games right away, and then the entire league should take a break on Labor Day. So the training camps and everything start exactly the same place they do now, but you would have two regular season games in before Labor Day, then the national holiday, Labor Day, everybody gets a week by week to kind of settle in after training camp, get their, you know, get their legs under them, and now you start the league, uh, a regular 16-game schedule with bye weeks worked into the schedule as the season progresses like they do now. It'll be an 18-game schedule with a full bye week for the entire league on Labor Day. And then the, the season progresses as it does now. Um, I think that's the best way to do it, but that's just me talking. That's the Tasker plan, by the way. Yeah. I, should, I should get a T-shirt with that on it. It is copyrighted. So it's don't not, steal it. It is not copyright. Don't steal it. You're not um, going to get rich with it no matter what because it's my idea. That's, but that's And fair. I'm not going to get rich with it either. But I think that's the way to do it. You start everything just like you do. And two pre come on, two preseason games, fine. They're not tackling or anything anyway. Yeah. You know? So just, it. you know, go with that. Two weeks of training camp, two weeks of preseason, two games, two Break. regular season games. By week on Labor Day weekend, right, there you go. Rest of the game, 16-game schedule with a bye week sprinkled in as per usual. Let's go to Denny in Niagara Falls next. What's up, Denny? Hey, guys. Uh, I've been listening to you for a long time, and I respect your opinion. But I, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. 12 personnel, 13 personnel, they did get torched. If Poyer doesn't make the play, in my opinion, one of the best defensive plays I've ever seen in the playoffs, they put up 34 points. Yes, the defense was getting torched. Yes, there were injuries. Yes, McDermott calls the plays, so the buck stops with him. Yeah. But the way I play that game is is almost like when you're trying to get a few more yards, 
for a field goal to get closer. I'm not sitting there saying go for the field goal. What I'm sitting there saying is, is maybe play at 12 personnel. None of your routes should have been more than maybe five, 10 yard hooks, maybe five yard slants until you got to like maybe the 20, 15 yard line. And then if you have three shots to get it in the end zone, make them deplete all their timeouts because listen, you got Mahomes on the other side. Only guy I said to my brother in law when I'm watching the game, I want to score a touchdown. But I don't want to score right away because the, the other guy on the other sideline, the only guy that I feared more was Brady. And I'll be honest with you, if you got him close enough to hit a chip shot, this poor kid got torched. You know, T-Bass got torched by these trolls, these, these yeah. jackasses, okay, <laughs> because of what? Because he missed a 44-yarder in the swirling wind? I mean, anybody knows that stadium knows what it's like down there. You saw his, his, his one kick earlier that, that barely made it through. My thing is, is get it as close as you can. Take three shots in the end zone. If we win and we leave them six seconds on the clock and we squib it, we might win that game. If I got not, a question I'll for you, too. Hey, Danny. With the, home, with the home field. Danny, what about this? Okay, so let's say, and I get it. I'm totally with you. You play, you got to get a first, you'd love to get a first down right there, even if you don't get the touchdown sure. when Josh went for the end zone, right? I mean, but here's the thing, too. Open. Danny, what would you have done? Here, here's the real question. He hits Diggs on that crossing route on second and nine when he went for the end zone, you know? What happens if he hits Diggs, Diggs gets tackled, now it's fourth and two? Well, it's third and it's third. What and if whatever. it ends up fourth and it two? Was, it was second down on that play. But it what if it ends up fourth and two? They get, second and, they get third and two and get another incompletion. Now it's fourth and two. What do you do? What do I do? Me, personally, I go for it and show some chutzpah, you know, just like Campbell's been doing all year. Yeah. But if he chose to kick it, I don't think anybody would have got mad. But 10 yards closer, that might have been the difference of that ball squeaking through the upright or missing by 10 yards, yeah. or not 10 yards, but right. probably like 7 yards to the right. I get My it. personal opinion, that you got Mahomes on the other sideline. Yeah. Look, if that was Tannehill or anybody yeah. else, you know, and I'll be honest with you, they've been torching Allen all week on other networks. And I hope that if Lamar loses to Mahomes this week, are they going to be hypocritical and be like, oh, well, Lamar's got MVPs. This guy, I mean, let's let's just call it what it is. I mean, and I, I've been a Diggs defender all year long, and people are like, oh, his attitude. I said, listen, the guy's a competitor. But that ball was right in his hands. Yep. Sherfield had to make an adjustment, definitely a catchable ball, but – what what else do you want Allen to do? I mean, yeah, people, I mean listen, he needs more help, Danny. I'm with you. I mean, you don't he have to defend, more help. You don't have to defend Josh. Josh is. I mean, I mean, we're you're, t- you're preaching help. to the choir. It's he, obvious. Everybody, and when you're going to beat, if you're going to beat a guy like Mahomes, the margin of error. We all see it. We all know who Mahomes is. We've seen it a ton. They're they're playing in their sixth conference championship game this in a weekend. row. Sixth in a row. So we all know who Mahomes is, and you've got it. Every not just Josh. Everybody has to play their best to beat that team. So that, you know, and, you, and they didn't get it done. And it's always going to come down to even the games they win against this team, except for the one where they went in there after the, and they beat them by, by 16 points. They did it at one time in, in Kansas City. But you're going to go in there, it's going to be a single possession game, and you're going to come down to the, four, the second and nine play where they went for the end zone, didn't get it. And then he had to throw it away. You know, they're gonna. That's what it's gonna come down to. So you you can spend the entire off season dissecting that one game spot where you think it could have done made the game or not. You know, but 
the simple fact of the matter is you got to play well throughout that game. You were you had a practice. I don't want. I'm just exaggerating. But you had a practice squad defense playing against Pat Mahomes, and it's going to look like that. It is exactly what that is exactly what it's going to look you like. You're three. not going to get Mahomes off the field unless he screws it up. And even despite the fact that you did not have three explosive hit due to drop passes, two by Sherfield, one by Diggs, you still put up 368 yards on the number two defense in football. It was the most yards they had given up all season. You did not play a bad game offensively. You played poorly on defense and uneven on special teams. And that's the difference. Yeah, and, and you didn't execute enough on offense on the explosives. Right, and so. that's you know, so that's that's where you're going to get. That's where you're going to can't be. play one phase of football and beat think the Chiefs. About, think about where the Chiefs would be right now if the kick goes through, all your hopes and dreams come true. You go down, you go down, and you and you win the game somehow, or you or they convert on the third, second and nine on, to the first down. You go down, and you score a touchdown with zero point zero zero on the clock. Right, so you win the game. What would the Chiefs be saying exactly about what the Bills did? They they scorched the Bills defense. They couldn't get the Bills, the number two defense in the league couldn't get the Bills off the field. They had 38 minutes of time of possession. It would have been 39 or 40 had the Bills hung on to it and scored with that last minute. I mean, the Chiefs would be sitting there right where the Bills are today. But the kick goes wide, the game ends. You don't have enough points, to, you know, you're, you're a three point yeah. loss. That's, that's where you're going to live with these two teams. Got to take a break here. When we come back, what are the prospects for Joe Brady in terms of landing the offensive coordinator role permanently? We'll hear from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean on that subject when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Okay, as we said before the break, one of the initial decisions they will have to make concerns the coaching staff and the fate of interim offensive coordinator Joe Brady. As we know, he was interviewed remotely for the Falcons head coaching job last week, and decision has to be made here as to whether he's going to become the permanent offensive coordinator of the Bills going forward. Both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott addressed this subject. Here is Brandon Bean's comments on Brady's candidacy for the permanent job. I thought Joe did a really good job. You know, we obviously have to go through that internally here, and and we're working on, um, you know, all those internal things here between Sean and myself and 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 Terry. Um, so we'll we'll work through that. But you know, it's it's not easy mid season because, like anything, if if Brian Gain comes over and takes over. As a GM, he may like some of the things I do, but he may want to do a twist on a few things. Mid-season, that's kind of hard to do. It'd almost be like mid-draft. Terry fires me. Hopefully he doesn't do it mid-draft. But um, mid-draft and then game taken over, like, well, the board's been set. You're kind of just dealing with it. He, and so um, to do that mid-stream, I think, you know, I think Joe did a really good job and deserves serious consideration, you know, for this job. So serious consideration for the job based on what he did. And Steve, I thought that was an important point to make. You can't put your own stamp on a team's offense when you're working with the predecessor's playbook. Uh, there, are, there are things you can incorporate 
or utilize more. But in terms of wholesale changes or things like that, Joe Brady was not in that position. That's why yesterday I was using the word triage. He was triaging the offense for the rest of the season. And even despite those limitations, he did make it better. Yeah, and the, the yeah the most you can do is more of this, less of that, um, more personnel, more like more twelve, more running. I'm using that as an example. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying that's right. That's about that's his limitations. Uh, now there are certain game plan things he could put in, like he could put in some wrinkles and things like that into the game plan, and certainly uh, probably did that. But yeah, it's. You're starting with a, a house that's fully formed and working right now. So, and you got to get to the end of the you know the end of the season with everything like it is. And then you know what can you do? Open the door here, close a window there, change the draperies, right? Yeah. I mean that's what you vacuum can do. the carpet. Yeah. You. Uh, and I'm not saying they need to needed to tear it down to the you know to the foundations anyway. But yeah, uh, it'll it's interesting. And we mentioned this on Monday right after the show, like. Like they're going to have to have some long, serious, and they probably have long, serious conversations with Joe Brady about what he thinks about the offense, where it is headed, what he wants to do, what, how how much he would change, what's his perfect world look like with this offense? Yeah, and, and for and those, how does that jive with you know what he's got and personnel that's going to be changed, which yeah. is obvious on the horizon. So it'll be that's those are interesting conversations. That we have no idea how those go, but they've got to take place, and those are going to tell you a lot about. What's next? Yeah, and for those that don't know Joe Brady's background exceptionally well, he he comes from the Sean Payton coaching tree in terms of offensive system. So whether he would be interested in incorporating more of that into what Buffalo does offensively is obviously part of the conversation that will need to be had here in the coming days. So you heard Brandon Bean's take on the job Joe Brady did as interim offensive coordinator. Here is the head coach, Sean McDermott, on the job Joe Brady performed after being promoted to that role. That'll happen in due time with respect to what we do with that position, Um, you know, evaluating that position as well as others, um, like is natural this time of year. And then, uh, but to your question specific to Joe, I thought Joe did a, a really nice job, right, coming in and um, building um, great communication, collaboration, um, a vibe with with Josh, and and then I think you saw the result of that through the course of I believe it was six games, and and so um, I thought he I thought he did a very very nice job in that regard. So, if you remember the comments that Sean McDermott made when he made the change. From Ken Dorsey to Joe Brady, he was asked, why now? Why this change at this point in the season? And he said, we just needed a different energy in that offensive coordinator role. And then you heard Coach McDermott address the vibe that Brady was able to establish with Josh. And we've heard some other comments from players who basically said, ultra positive, fully trusted us to make plays put us in position because he impressed upon us that he trusts us, and that's why he's calling this player that player has this game plan in place. So it sounded like there was some resolute positivity um, in terms of energy, maybe more than anything else, that yeah. that Brady gave them. And at age 34, probably relates to the player's better, younger guy, that kind of thing. It's interesting, too, because you, I remember back thinking you, you have coaches that coach where – and the way they, even the way they present plays, 
means something to how the players feel about it. And so you got to coach and think about it. You, 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 coach comes in and says, listen, we're, we think they're going to do this, so we're going to try and we're going to run this play because we think they're going to do this because we're afraid if we do this, they're going to, you know, they're going to hit us right here, this kind of thing. Or, or saying, listen, we're going to run this play because we're going to beat them right here. This is where we're going to get them. And you guys, you know, I trust you to do this. We're better than you. Our guy here is better than their guy there. We're going to run this play and do it. So the way it's presented and is, is important. You present it in a, in a way that's reactionary or a fearful of what might happen if you, if you do, don't run it or if you, you know, of what the defense is going to do. Or if you feel it, if you present it in a way that we're going to attack them right here and we're going to do it and you're going to, because we think we've got better guys here, that, it's just a completely different mindset. And that energy permeates every, everything they say about their plays, about the installation, about the game plan, about the matchups that they're going to have, and it permeates the whole offense. So um, when he says, you know, I kind of got it when he said they needed a new energy. It, it made some sense to me, and I, and I get it. And um, coaching is teaching, and it's – it's total body teaching, right? It's not just sitting down and writing stuff down on a paper, or putting it into a keyboard. You got to go out there and act on it and do and physically move somebody and compete against someone. So you need that energy, that positive energy about somebody trusting you to get it done when you're looking at another guy who's going to try and keep you from doing that. There's a lot of emotion in that. And the that, you know, finger quotes energy is a little esoteric for a lot of people. And maybe that'll give you an idea of why it's important. Yeah. It's a real thing that puts players in the right mind frame to go execute and win. Um, Brandon Bean was also asked about finding some help to take some of the pressure off of Diggs. As we know, Diggs' production tailed off in the second half of the year for the second straight season. How do they go about changing that? And one of the suggestions was finding another receiver to take pressure off of Diggs. Here's Brandon Bean on that subject. I mean, we're, we're, again, we're always looking for various players, uh, whether it was – we're always looking for mismatches, and I said that when we drafted Dalton, um, you know, when we brought Cook here, you know, trying to find various mismatches. So, yes, any guy that um, causes the defense that you can put them in a look and get them in a – you know, where you can dictate to them, and if that's, you know, another receiver to offset Steph or, or whoever else, yes, we would um, – we wouldn't hesitate to do that. The situation that has to be decided upon, though, in terms of their offseason plan is where is that talent acquired? And odds are it is going to be the draft. As we know, the receiver is one of the highest-priced positions in football, and the Bills don't have the cap space to make that work. I think it would it would take up too many cap dollars to make that a feasible proposition. So odds are Bills are going to have to get a receiver, maybe two, early in this draft somebody who's ready to step in and fill a role immediately as a rookie, similar to that of Dalton Kincaid. Right. we got to take a break here. Steve and I will wrap things up when we come back. On One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker. Let's quickly go to Pat and Cheek Dewaga, who has some cap-solving problems. <laughs> yeah, Brownie, uh, great show. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you about the receivers. Uh, I thought last year we should have done that all the year before. Yeah. Uh, the previous caller about the safeties, again, 
We know those guys are both great and, and wall of famers in our town, but it's time for them to go. Uh, defensive line's got to get younger, which it will, because you're going to get rid of some of these guys. So, yeah, I mean, it's out there. We're going to be okay. You know, most of the fans just got to relax a little bit. But, uh, Mr. Tasker, I got to jiggle your memory a little bit here. 36 years ago, <laughs> Deacon Blue. Yes. And uh, I was in the St. Lamont's class with you, and you took me for a tour of the stadium. Oh, so really? I do want to let you know, never forgot it. I tell people about you because that's a life uh, you know, day that I never forget what you did for me, meeting me at the stadium and taking me through the stadium that day. Nice. I don't know if you remember that. I do not, but I'm glad that you do. I'm glad yeah. that you do. I've I've given a few tours of the stadium once in a while, and yeah, um, no, that's good. Yes, that is. Yeah, I I know exactly. And I I tell me, are you still there, well, Pat? No, we oh, had to let him go because we're up against the clock I here. Know Sorry, what the what his kid's name was? I <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> guessing Steve because my know. mind's grown up and has four of his own. So yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, one last thing, in case you didn't know this, the the game on CBS Bills Chiefs on Sunday, set a record for more than 50 million viewers. The first time ever an NFL divisional playoff game surpassed 50 million viewers. It peaked at 56 million. It is the most watched program on any network since last year's Super Bowl. That's amazing. That's that it for us today. That does not surprise me. No, it doesn't surprise me either. Mahomes and Allen draw eyeballs. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.